How, how long would it take before me, if I just stood up here and stared at you, that one of you would say something and Roger proved it? It didn't take long. But tonight I want to talk to you about a stare down in a synagogue. And I was going to try to do that for a while, but y'all wouldn't let me do it. Katie started saluting at me, and there's all kinds of things were happening. But it makes us feel uncomfortable when nobody says anything and you're just staring at you. And that's one of the things we're going to be talking about tonight. It's good to see everybody. I'm thankful for you being here on this cold night. I hope everybody has the day off tomorrow because of the holiday. I know some of you don't, but I wish everybody did because when you get up in the morning, it's going to feel like 11 degrees. It's going to be cold. That's what the, when you combine the, the uh, moisture and the wind, it's going to be around 11 degrees or the actual temperature is going to be around 20, but it's going to be a very, very cold morning. Good morning to stay in if you can. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the text that Scott read for us a few moments ago from Luke chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at these same verses, verses 16 through 21. And if you want to, you can go ahead and stay there because we're not really going to be looking at any other scripture tonight. We simply want to go through uh, this uh, section of scripture verse by verse and just make a couple comments. And at the same time, I want to give you a word for every little section we look at. And each one of these words are going to start with an S to help you remember what's happening here in these particular verses. Um, I always I think it's neat when you can take a section of Scripture and you can use what's called alliteration to bring out um, uh, words that, uh, that all start with the same letter and teach, the, and teach a different lesson. And that's kind of what we're going to be doing tonight. But can you imagine what it'd be like if you were uh, having a worship service, and in that worship service, Jesus Christ was in the assembly? And say um, we're having a night like tonight, but tonight is questions and answers. And somebody had turned in a question, and um, I was having a hard time answering it, and I could just look over there and say, Jesus, I think I'll let you handle this one. And Jesus got up, and he would answer the question. I think most of us would pay attention to what he was saying. And you probably would believe what he's saying because he's Jesus. He's going to be telling you the truth, especially when it comes uh, to the Word of God. Although this is not exactly what happened on this particular occasion, it's, it's pretty similar to it. And so it's an interesting little section of Scripture that we have here. But as we begin looking at the Scripture and we look at verse 16, the very first word I want you to think about is the word synagogue, synagogue. All these words are going to start with S, synagogue. And the scripture says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. There are a lot of things going on in this verse. First of all, he went back to his hometown. That's the reason why it talks about this is where he was brought up. I know we all know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but his hometown, the town he was raised in, was Nazareth. And Nazareth was a very uh, disdained town, if you will. There not, not a whole lot of, in fact, one of the disciples, when they saw Jesus and heard he was from Nazareth, they even asked the question, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And um, the word itself means the branch and uh, just kind of an interesting little bitty town not too far uh, from Jerusalem. But notice that he came and went into the synagogue. I'm sure all of us are familiar with the term synagogue. We know it's a place of worship. 
In fact, our worship that we have in the New Testament church is sort of patterned after the uh, synagogue. But the synagogue came into being during the Babylonian captivity. Obviously, because of the fact that they could no longer get to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. In fact, the temple had been destroyed, and they were many miles away from the city of Jerusalem. They wanted to worship God on the Sabbath day, so they developed a system of synagogues. And the synagogue was uh, something that was carried over when they came back from captivity. And because of the fact that uh, either distance or the fact that the temple wasn't built right away, synagogues became something that was prominent in every city. Almost every city had a synagogue. But there was something different going on in the synagogue that took place in, in the temple. In the temple, the emphasis, the emphasis was on worship, obviously, but it was on the aspect of offering in worship. When you went into the temple to worship, you would make sacrifices. The priest would make sacrifices for you. The high priest would make sacrifices for all the people on certain days. The temple was all about the offering. But in the synagogue, it was all about the learning. Uh, they would have worship in the synagogue. They would sing songs a cappella. Uh, they would have prayer, but the emphasis was on the sermon part of it, the teaching part of it. And um, as a part of this particular synagogue service, as it was the case of any synagogue service, uh, men in the congregation who were there, even though those men who were visiting, if they were Jews, they would have the opportunity to get up before the congregation and read a portion of Scripture and then make comment on it. Uh, oftentimes they would have a regular sermon, but they would also have a period of Bible study when different people would get up, Scripture would be read, and comments would be made, kind of like many Bible classes done by many men. Uh, sometimes it was on different Scripture, sometimes it was on uh, one particular Scripture, but that was the way the synagogue uh, service was set up. Uh, there was a part of the service that involved Scripture and comment. And evidently, this is what Jesus was doing when he, it says in the text, that he stood up for to read. This was the portion of the service when they had the scripture and comment section. We don't know if Jesus did this on his own because volunteers could read or if the ruler of the synagogue, the one who was in charge of the synagogue, appointed him to read. It happens two different ways in the synagogue worship service. But before we leave verse 16, I want you to notice what it says. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. The word custom can also be translated habit. The point I want us to understand and appreciate is that it was Jesus' habit because he was someone who believed in God and thought God needed to be worshipped and it needed to be done on the Sabbath day according to the Jewish law, that it was his habit something that was a part of his life, his custom to always be in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And I think that's a very important thing that we need to learn. Now, I understand that I, in a sense, quote-unquote, am preaching to the choir tonight. But I wonder sometimes that if every member's habit was the same as our habit, uh, what kind of church would we have? Uh, when would we meet? Would we even have a Sunday morning Bible class? Would we even have a Wednesday night Bible class? Would we have Sunday night worship service? If everybody followed one particular person's habit within the congregation. Now, once again, I realize your customer habit is to be here on Sunday night. But there are some who never come on Sunday night, 
And that is their habit. But with Jesus, his habit was to be with God's people on the Sabbath day, and it was in the synagogue. So the very first word I want you to think about tonight, and maybe you can want to, you can write it down right here beside this verse, is the word synagogue. Well, the next thing when you get to verse 17, the next word I want you to think about is the word scroll. The word scroll. Verse 17 says, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet of uh, it, as a prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, the King James Version has book here, but what's being really talked about here is the scroll. It is a scroll. And scrolls in the synagogue were very, very precious things. I know when we come into a church building, whether it's this building or any other building, you can look around if you forgot your Bible and you can find a Bible very easily. There's usually Bibles lying around. You go into someone's home who professes to be a believer in God and you'll probably find a Bible in that house. You go into most motel rooms and open up one of the drawers, you're going to find a Bible that's left there by the Gideons. You can go to either good bookstores or used bookstores, and you can find a Bible there because Bibles are plenteous across this nation. In fact, it's still the number one seller as far as books is concerned. But yet, during the time that Jesus lived, copies of God's Word, scrolls, were very hard to find. And so if anybody had a scroll, it was a very precious thing to have. And in the synagogue, these scrolls were, very, were treated very special and very precious. They were kept in a cabinet within the synagogue, and they were locked usually in these cabinets so no one could get to them. And they had a very special person in the synagogue called a scroll attendant that took care of these scrolls. And we don't know the setting that when Jesus uh, got this scroll, whether or not this was something that was prearranged, that they were looking at the book of Isaiah, or if Jesus said to the scroll attendant, I want you to get me the book of Isaiah. Well, whatever the reason may be, the attendant went to the cabinet that had all the scrolls in it, and he picked up the one that was the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah's scroll would be mounted on two wooden cylinders, and those wooden cylinders would be wrapped around with parchment paper, a very special kind of paper that's made out of papyrus, and it would be very carefully and very delicately handled. Most of the time, there would be a velvet or some other type of cloth cover over the scroll to protect it, and the, and the scroll attendant would remove this cover. He'd very carefully carry it over to the pulpit there in the synagogue, and then he would assist the person who was reading. In this case, it would be Jesus in unrolling it, because as you looked at the Scripture, you just didn't turn the pages, but you turn one end with one hand, and you turn the other end with the other hand, depending on which way you wanted to go in the particular book. And that's what's happening here with this particular uh, uh, scroll. And in this case, what was delivered to him, as it says in the King James, Isaiah, but literally we're talking about Isaiah. Just another way of saying Isaiah. And of course we understand and appreciate the fact that Isaiah was the messianic prophet. He had more prophecies in his book about Jesus Christ and about the Messiah that was to come than any other book. In fact, you remember in Acts chapter 8 when the Ethiopian eunuch was traveling and he happened to be met by a preacher by the name of Philip that when Philip got into the cart, 
the eunuch was reading the book of Isaiah, specifically from Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, this was a very important book when it comes uh, to the Messiah. And so either by providence or either by irony or either on purpose, um, the book of Isaiah was brought to the very person to whom the book was about. And of course, Jesus took this book and he was able to, or the scroll, and he was able to find in the book a certain spot that he wanted to read. Now, once again, we don't know if Jesus was at liberty here just to pick any scripture he wanted to or whether the order of the day, because sometimes it was the case with synagogues, whether they were studying a specific section of Scripture, and Jesus was assigned this Scripture. Either way, Jesus comes to this particular point in the Scripture. And when I was reading this, I thought about the fact that I bet if Jesus had to find something in the Scripture somewhere, he didn't have to spend a lot of time fumbling around and trying to figure out, well, which book is this in? Is this, oh, you know, he knew exactly where to go. This is someone who knew his Scriptures very well. But he gets to verse 18 and 19, and we're going to add another word now. We've got synagogue, we've got scroll, and now we're going to add Scripture because this is the Scripture that he read. And this is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. This is what Jesus read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, when Isaiah originally wrote these words, um, it had what we call a dual meaning. In the Bible, there is something that is called dual prophecy that has dual fulfillment. Many different times you'll see a prophecy about something in the Old Testament that had to do with the particular case at hand, but later on we discover that it was actually a prophecy of Jesus Christ or a messianic prophecy. The first fulfillment of this prophecy and where, and then in the context, what uh, Isaiah was talking about more than likely was talking about the return of the Jews from Babylonian captivity. The time would come, as Isaiah prophesied, that because of the Spirit of the Lord being upon Cyrus the king, that he would allow them to hear the good news that these poor people had dealt with how their brokenhearted hearts could be healed, how that those who are now been in captivity in Babylon were going to be delivered. It would be the year of Jubilee or the acceptable year of the Lord because those which were in captivity had been set free. Everything that had been made wrong now would be made right. And it certainly had that fulfillment in the Babylonian captivity. But we also discover that uh, its ultimate fulfillment, as oftentimes is the case with prophecy in the Bible, was the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Just a few verses over in chapter 3 of Luke, uh, verses 21 and 22, we discover uh, that Jesus being baptized by John, and after he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and we heard a voice, John heard a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. Here in this particular text, we have the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, as Jesus is reading. 
which is a reference to what just happened, because he hath anointed me. The word anointed me or anointed one is the word for Messiah. That's what Christ, that's what Messiah means, the anointed one. And obviously it was Jesus' purpose here on this earth to preach the gospel. And he, of course, preached the gospel to the poor. Literally, that's the despised ones. And if there's ever anyone who is despised, it would be us because of who we are and the sin that we commit and because of the separation that we have from God. So he came to preach the gospel to the despised ones. And he was also sent me, as the text says, to heal the brokenhearted. Uh, Sin should cause us to be heartbroken. Sin should cause us to uh, be sorry for the kind of people that we are. But then he goes on and says to preach the deliverance of the captives. In other words, he's going to set at liberty those who, who were being held captive. And certainly being held in the captivity of sin is something we need to be delivered from. And he was going to recover the sight to the blind. We might think of that passage and think that Jesus did give sight to the blind in a miraculous way. But more than likely, this prophecy is talking about how that Christ is going to be able to open our eyes and let us see things the way they really are because he is indeed the light of the world. And then, of course, it goes on and says, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And I'm reminded of the passage in John chapter 8 and verse 32 where it says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We can find true freedom uh, in our lives, even though we have been beaten up by sin because of what Jesus uh, has done for us. And then verse 19 says, To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year was the year of Jubilee. And for those of you who are not familiar with Mosaic Law, the year of Jubilee came every 50 years. And there's a lot of discussion how, how much the Jews actually... Uh, practice this or, or, or put this into practice. But during the year of Jubilee, it was the time where um, if you owe somebody money, you didn't owe it to them anymore. If you had sold somebody property, the property came back to you. If you were taken captive as a slave, you were released as a slave. Everything on the year of Jubilee reverted back to its original state. And what is... Jesus say as he reads this passage that one of the things that is being talked about here is to preach the acceptable way of the year of the Lord. In other words, preach the idea of how everything's going to go back to the way that it was. And the ultimate way of going back to the way it was would be go back to the uh, Garden of Eden, to that paradise when man had a relationship with God like no other, when they were sinless, when they were innocent, and they lived in a paradise. Everything reverting back to the way that it was. So we've got the synagogue, we've got the scroll, we've got the scripture, but now we're going to see the stair. The stair, verse 20. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. The King James Version says he gave the book Rather, it was a scroll, and it says he gave it to the minister. That kind of leaves a wrong impression. He gave it to the scroll attendant. But what he has rest in the text is right in that Jesus just simply handed the scroll back to the attendant, went back to his seat in the pew, and just sat there. 
And everybody in the entire place began to look at him and stare at him. Now, why did they start staring at him? Well, because Jesus was supposed to say something. Remember, the procedure in the synagogue was to read the Scripture, and if you were one of the Scripture readers, then you were to make comment on the text that you just read. You were supposed to teach a short little lesson. You were supposed to say, well, this is what the verse was about. This is what you need to learn from this verse. But Jesus didn't do any of that. He just simply read the text that he read, and he went down and sat in his chair. And everybody started staring at him. Now, at the beginning of the service, I just kind of stood up here and stared at you for a few moments, and and you couldn't handle the the, the silence. You couldn't handle uh, me just standing here. Something wasn't right. I needed to say something while I'm up here. And um, so it didn't last very long. And we don't know how long uh, this happened, but imagine, if you will, in your mind the scene here. It's quiet. So quiet, perhaps you can hear a pin drop. And every single person in the entire congregation that met there in that synagogue were all staring at Jesus. Uh, We don't like to normally draw attention to ourselves. Uh, We don't know, uh, unless there's something wrong with us, we normally don't. And it makes us feel uncomfortable if everybody's staring at us, even if it's a stranger that is staring at us. But Jesus sat there. Don't know how long he sat there. But everybody just kept staring at him in silence, waiting. Now, there's something that they teach you, and it's a hard thing to do when you're public speaking. But one of the things they teach you, even when you're in preaching school, is something that's called the pregnant pause. They say if you really want to get someone's attention, you need to do the pregnant pause. And that way a speaker would do that, he would say, Now listen, I need you to, I need you to listen to this. This is very important. The silence gets everybody's attention. They start to wait for the response. They tend to wonder what it's going to be, and therefore they pay more attention. And we don't know if that's what Jesus was doing here or not, doing this or not, but I know Jesus wanted their attention. And perhaps the purpose of all this was, if you will, a method of pregnant pause, a method of the silence captivating the crowd so they would hang on any words that he said when he finally did speak. And he finally did speak in verse 21. There we have the statement. So we've got the synagogue, we've got the scroll, we've got the scripture, we've got the stare, and now we've got the statement. And the statement was simply this. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now what was Jesus saying? He's saying this is what Isaiah had predicted. 700 years ago, Isaiah said this was going to happen. And you thought it was the Babylonian captivity. No, it was something more. It was talking about the Messiah. And what I'm here to tell you today is it is here. This is now what Isaiah was talking about. And I am him. I am the one that he was talking about. I am the one that has the Spirit of the Lord upon me. I am the anointed one. I am the one that's been sent here to preach the gospel to the despised ones. This scripture is fulfilled in your sight. That which Isaiah prophesied over 700 years ago is now a reality. 
I can't imagine what it had been like to be in that audience and hear Jesus Christ read Scripture and then make comment on it. But I'm so thankful that we have this particular event recorded to remind us that Jesus Christ is indeed God's Son, that Jesus Christ is indeed the Anointed One, the Messiah in the Hebrew, the Christos in the, in the Greek. He is the one that has been anointed by God to be the one to preach deliverance to the poor. And so tonight, I hope that as you remember this particular scripture or later on in life when you're studying it on your own or in a Bible class, you'll, you'll think about the different words beginning in the S here, and you'll think about how wonderful it is that this, the time that we're living in right now, is the acceptable year of the Lord when everything can be brought back to its original state. We can be in a right relationship with God once again. We can have our sins washed away and be pure. And we can have the promise, not just the hope, but the promise of being able to spend eternity in paradise in a very close relationship just like Adam and Eve had with God all those many thousands of years ago. If you have a need this evening, won't you come as together we stand and sing?